Weeks 1 through 10 and one game of week 11 are in the books at this point. Welcome into Rolling Fat. Um, now get right into it. Movement this week included one trade and a few waiver wire moves of note. Uh, there was a high-value trade in the league this week as Jimmy sent Trevor Lawrence to Tom for Alexander Madison and Chris Godwin in return. Tom was hurting for a platoon member to go with his newly added Derek Carr after he lost the trusted Joe Burrow due to a perceived jerking-off-related injury. Uh, with C.J. Stroud on an excellent trajectory in fantasy and real football, Jimmy felt comfortable holding on to him as sole quarterback for the playoff run, where he does have a tough stretch on of defenses, but we have already seen him play well against great competition. In Jimmy's return, he also grabbed two great guys to plug and play in the case of met plus matchups, bi-week coverage, and potential injuries. This trade could potentially be the uh, ever-elusive win-win for both sides. Waivers had a little spice on him this week as a few names were hot in the street. Tom got to grab Ty Chandler as I missed out on that one. Tom possibly saved me for myself there as Madison is once again looking like he is playing. The other name this week was Deontay Foreman who Rex grabbed and Kyle missed out on. This is most likely due to the great week he had last week which was potentially his final as the starter Herbert is expected to be back this week. But... If Herbert shows any rust or is banged up, I could easily see them wasting no time putting Foreman back in there with the way he has performed. Now to recap the highlighted games of last week. In the NFL, Texans versus Bengals, this game did not disappoint. Lots of scoring. Lots of back-and-forth lead changes. Like a great freaky 69 sesh where both ends reap the benefits of good quality cunnilingus. Explosive defensive plays. Strong fantasy days to go around. Remember, guys, this game was before the Burrow injury, so last week. Uh, Burrow did finish 7th best quarterback on the week, but clearly no one started quarterback Josh Dobbs, so it was more like 6 out of potential starting quarterbacks. I can't, you know, Dobbs finished top 3, but (laughs) I don't think anybody really had him going into it as a backup. On the other side, Stroud finished just behind him by only a couple points. The good thing for wide receivers in fantasy is they can't get hurt too bad with interceptions to quarterback throws. Those only directly hurt the quarterback stats. I know there's a trickle down to potential scoring opportunities for other guys, but the point here is that in a shootout like this, the quarterbacks were able to score big points individually, but also spread the wealth. For Cincinnati, Burrow was able to deal the ball to Chase, who finished 7th on the week, Boyd, who finished 14th, and Trent Irwin as a replacement for Higgins at 16th. The sad part there is Burrow and Boyd could have had one more touchdown, won the game, and both finished top five or six at their respective positions if Boyd just holds on to that easy touchdown catch. Irwin was the biggest surprise here, notching 12 points on his own. Um, that quick, chit- quick, bleh, quick twitch chain mover can be so valuable sometimes as an outlet. Um, if Higgins or others see any time out in the future, Irwin seems like a no-brainer plug-and-play guy. We mentioned last week that Houston was not good against the tight end position, but also mentioned that Bengals are not good at using them. Um, Typically spread the target share around, making it hard to start somebody. Well, that situation played out to a T. Four tight ends for the Bengals targeted 12 times to go with nine catches and 51 yards. That clusterfuck resulted in the scattered rankings that fell between 17th and 39th on the week for the tight end position, making them all pretty much worthless. Joe Mexton finished as running back Finished as a running back two on the week, which was good, but he was not heavily utilized as I would have thought. He did handle every run from the running back position and now targeted his backup in the past game three to one, so his place on the pecking order seems to be secure. 
The game just went right to shootout mode and the Bengals went away from using him on the ground, even when he was getting over four yards to carry. C.J. Stroud supported two top wideouts of his own as Noah Brown went seven for 172. Huge day to follow up on his incredible Week 9 performance. Tank Dell also went 6 for 56 and a tutty as they both finished the week as wide receiver ones. Dalton Schultz also kept up a streak of strong performances, finishing 8th on the week for tight ends. Now where the Bengals stopped running the ball, the Texans kept pounding the rock, kind of like a Miami hooker in the mid-90s on a visit to local college. Pounded rock, got it. Singletary ended the game with 30 rushing attempts, which is unheard of in today's NFL. Saquon is currently leading the NFL in carries per game and only averages about 20. Singletary was efficient and never gave the team a reason to go away from him, averaging 5 yards per carry. I did think this game was going to go through the air a lot more for Houston, so I didn't see the value in starting Singletary per se. But I was wrong there, as D'Amico Ryan zigged my zag. That's why he gets the big bucks, and I'm here you know, talking to you schmucks. Moving forward in games where the Texans do look to be pass-heavy, it would be interesting to see if Mechie or Robert Woods can step up and be another piece of the puzzle. Both have huge potential, but have yet to really show their value. Now for games in the Fantasy League. The first game we talked about last week, or we were going to highlight, is Dave versus Jimmy. Dave beat the damn brakes off that boy. Holy shit. Now, I hate to kick a man when he is down, but Jimmy not only was by far the worst team in the week, but he also finished 30 points behind Mike. Yeah, that guy. Hot sister Mike. You know. Pretty open and shut case here as Jimmy's entire team scored in the single digits outside of CJ Stroud, a quarterback. The highest score on the team outside of Stroud was shared between Pickens and Laporta, who had six apiece. Dave's squad saw big days from the Kittle and Purdy stack, which is which pretty much won the week themselves. Um, so Dave survived the big bye week for him as the Eagles and Dolphins now return healthy for the fantasy playoff stretch. The other game that we um, looked into last week was Nikki Coe versus Jay. Expecting to lose by 25 points or so, Jay ended up pulling a bust of rhymes and flipped it on Nikki Coe to win by 30. Flip mode? In the short term, it appears as though Jay won the trade with me as Jameer Gibbs didn't lose any value in Montgomery's first game back as he finished overall first on the week. Montgomery, for what is worth, did also finish top five. So there's that as well. You know, they're both going to be valuable, like we'll go over later. In the preview last week, I spoke about how Jay had a chance for a few big swing players here that could win him this week, and they all contributed. Geno scored 29 fantasy points, 10 over his expected. Tajay Spears and Ferguson both outdid their expected by a few. Lockett, who was paired with Geno there, walked out of the game with an additional nine points on his expected. And lastly, Boyd, as we talked about earlier, scored almost 16 or six and a half over what he was projected. Jay's bench lit it up too as he missed out on the Brandon Cooks coming out party and had Keaton Mitchell and Latavius Murray in double digits as well. Strong week through and through. Today's presenting sponsor this week comes from the days of old. A combo for some of us classy fucks. Making comeback from days when men were men and women were women. When we call things quote-unquote old-fashioned before those items even had existed long enough to become technically old. When we only needed a few ingredients to complete our masculine 24-hour cycle. A nice rye whiskey. A touch of water, pussy. Bitters. Sugar. A cherry. And the soft touch of a lady's firm but gentle grip around your stiff member. Old-fashioned handies were the essential nightcap to any true man's day. Nowadays, the pairing is hard to find 
as handies only exist in fast food parking lots in the cover of night. And old-fashioned drinks only exist in bars far too expensive for anyone outside of the ARI workforce to afford. Do yourself a favor. Light up a stogie. Pour yourself one of the classics. Spit on your hog. And tell your lady, hey, no eye contact. I'm drinking up here. Old fashions. Get classy. And now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. All right, now to recap all of last week's games. Um, I beat Tom 141 to 128. John beat Mike 102 to 88. Dave beat Jimmy, as we talked about, 110 to 58. Oh, Jesus Christ, reading that score again is fucking rough. Tits BD, 152 to 118, spoiling E's, you know, possibly best week of the year. Rex beat Kyle, 136 to 121. NJ beat Nikki Co, 136 to 106. So for the awards, biggest upset, I have to hit the game we just talked about as Jay had such a low shot at winning going into the week, and then his team just crushed it. And just like Dave, Jay is now back to full strength as he survived the biggest bye week and gets Mahomes, Tyreek, and Puka back for the playoff run. Jay now gets to enjoy the battle between himself and his brother-in-law in a reenactment of the famous West Side Story, where the slick Hispanic fella attempts to sneak his way into a nice white American family. That reminds me, a great man once said, You can't stop the bum rush, and you can't stop love. So it's time to knuckle up and pray to the Lord above. Wild fact here, um, I knew the first LFO guy died real young in 36, but just found out two other ones died at 41, and one of the founding members that was placed early on died at 47. Legends. And definitely more hits than Mace. Biggest winner on the week, Johnny Boy has now won four in a row, putting himself back in the mix and currently sitting at 500 for the first time since week two of the season. To be fair, he played Mike and would have lost to everyone but Mike and Jimmy, but say it with me now, matchups. Not only did he take care of business, but he's following it up with a matchup with E this week. Biggest loser, and I promise this is the last time I'm going to award it to this motherfucker, Mike. He has dropped his chances of making the playoffs down to zero, officially ruling him unimportant as we finish out the rest of the season. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I'm sure there will be a moment at the end of the season where I can fully do justice to the bag of shit Mike's fantasy team has been, but for now, I'll say this. He won week one versus E, 87.42 to 87.24 by just a skinny little nut hair, one of the closest and low-scoring victories I have ever seen. Kind of like one of those blind, beeping, Basketball games, but in wheelchairs. And he hasn't won since, losing by an average of 20-plus points per week. Hopefully, for all of our sake, Mike, you take the end of the season seriously. It would be nice if you could start caring now. That would be good. Um, That way we all get a fair shake, and there are always the balls to consider. You could start dusting off a spot on your mantle now, buddy. Thursday night recap. Once again, we had the Bengals playing, this time in a very different circumstances the Ravens put up a lot of points early and after Joe Burrow's injury the comeback felt impossible Burrow was playing okay before injuring his wrist slash arm and putting him out for the rest of the season a combination of Burrow's injury Jake Browning's inexperience and the elite play Baltimore has been showcasing lately defensively the passing game for the Bengals was extremely underwhelming options one and two Chase and Boyd finished with a combined five catches 34 yards and a garbage time touchdown with about a minute left on the clock Mixon was the only true beneficiary for the Bengals as he saw 100 scrimmage yards, 5 catches, and a touchdown. 
On the other side of the ball, Lamar had another outstanding day passing and running, even with a small injury of his own. That is especially impressive with the injury to Andrews occurring at the end of the first drive of the game. It would have been easy to understand if the offense stalled at that point, but they kept moving, involving five different players running the ball and targeting 10 different players in the passing game. Odell, Odell had a couple big big gains, but both touchdowns were on the lone catches for two different players. Nelson Aguilar had a 37-yard touchdown catch, the only catch of the game, and same for the Rashad Bateman at a, for 10 yards out. With Andrews out for the season and Lamar banged up, this offense is going to have to adapt, and hopefully the wideouts are prepared to step up because this is the best team around Lamar in the last few years. Now to highlight this upcoming week, big 11, um, you know, big games in week 11. For the NFL, we're going to go over the Bears and Lions. Current over-under at 48.5, Detroit minus 8. So expected score is about 28-20 in favor of the Lions. The Lions have looked for real so far this year and have altered their game plan to attack different teams differently while still trying to keep the basic skeleton of their inside running and play-action bombs all in play. The division is currently in their hands, but let's get to the important shit, fantasy. Jared Goff has been up and down, but the true lows have been against elite defenses, which Chicago is not currently one of. Currently give up the fourth most fantasy points to quarterbacks, but sit dead smack in the middle against wide receivers. This is due to, one, they give up a good amount of production to the tight end, fourth worst, and two, they give up a lot of receiving work to the running backs, averaging six for 60 yards per game to the position. Goff has an incredible tight end and two running backs very worthy of some passing targets. On the outside, St. Brown has been a stud, averaging 100 yards per game and a touchdown every other game. He should be heavily utilized in this one as well, but will be covered primarily by Kyle Gordon, who has been one of the few bright spots defensively for the Bears. That combined with the Montez Sweat improved pass rush could mean they're looking at passing to the tight end and running back more out of necessity. St. Brown will still get his, but look for a slightly more subtle day unless they can get him moved around the formation for better matchups. Laporta is averaging five for fifty and a touchdown. I'm sorry, five for fifty and a touchdown every other game. He's about as solid a start as you can have at the position with a plus matchup versus the Bears. Expect a quick release throws and a quarterback that can handle the play action very well. The running backs will be leaned on, and as we get another week into the time split between Montgomery and Gibbs, they both looked extremely explosive, and their styles are so complementary they could easily be two week in week out starters for the remainder of the season just because of the offensive opportunities they get, their personal skill levels, and the different utilization they carry in the offense. So far, the Bears have given up a touchdown to the running back on average once per week, even though it was only given up one over the last six, and that was through the air. So in this play, Gibbs appears to still hold a little more value than Montgomery in the matchup. For the Bears, they have Justin Fields back. Tyler Bajan was fun for a minute, but was very depressing to watch on the field towards the end as the entire offense, outside of Deontay Foreman, took a huge step back fantasy-wise. It has been a great year, or I'm sorry, it hasn't been a great year for Fields, but the good news for him is that the Lions are in the bottom quarter of the league against the position, and they especially struggle against mobile quarterbacks. Fields hasn't played since week six, where he was injured early on, but at the time was coming off two straight games of scoring four passing touchdowns. This will be his best opportunity to get back on track because next week he plays the Vikings, who have been very tough on quarterbacks. It's not surprising that since week six when Fields went out, Moore has scored an average seven or so points, and before that, averaged about 20 per game. 
He is the biggest benefactor of the situation as Fields and him have a solid connection and Fields' ability to escape pressure gives more opportunity for a crafty vet like Moore to find holes in the zone. The Lions sit about middle of the pack against wide receivers, so Moore should have a very productive day as long as Fields isn't too rusty. The running back room for Bears is interesting. Foreman has been handling himself very well in Herbert's absence and has made a case for himself that he is still worth giving ample opportunities to. The main roadblock there is that every moment leading up to that point has shown that Herbert is the more explosive back and has a lot more to offer in the play-to-play basis. Foreman is slightly more of a simplified downhill running back in the Bears system. In this game, you might be better off benching both of them until you see how it shakes out. Especially with the Lions holding running backs to five total touchdowns on the season and only about 97 scrimmage yards per game. If they're splitting that up, you're looking at you know 50 yards each, possibly a touchdown on which one. It's going to be hard to pick which, so it might be better just to bench him. Not a lot of, not a lot of opportunity to go around here. The only play script I can see changing that is if the Bears have to go pass heavy early and Herbert benefits from the extra receiving work. In conclusion, Goff and St. Brown are good to go, but I wouldn't expect huge days there. Laporta is the guy to have for the Lions in this matchup. Gibbs and Montgomery are both definitely playable and should both see enough value in any kind of game script. For the Bears, I would stay away from fields unless you are going you know, for a big upset type move. DJ Moore has shown to have incredible days with fields at the helm, so you have to trust that connection to work again. Um, we didn't talk about Komet, but at this point of the season, you probably have your mind made up with starting him every time instead of chasing down some new flavor of the week at tight end. And then obviously the running backs, like I said, if you're going to play one, Herbert's probably the play. Um, but you know it could go either way if Herbert's not ready to get that full workload back. Now, as far as fantasy matchups go, first one we're going to talk about here is Tits versus Jay. Jay is currently sitting at 7-3, coming off big win as Tits is sitting at 6-4, and four, is coming off a big win of his own. As we talked about early, these guys are fighting for more than fantasy here. This is shit talking at the Thanksgiving table. This is, I know, you know, type of looks at baptisms. This is making that motherfucker and his whole family step on the grass when you walk your kids down your little neighborhood sidewalk. Jay sitting in second has a shot at first place with a win and could potentially slip back to fifth with a loss. Nick on the other side is uh, at fifth with a landing spot ranging all the way from second back to eighth with a loss. This season has a lot more competitive teams across the league than in years past, causing big shifts in rankings on a weekly basis. Going into the weekend, Jay is expected to lose by about 11 points, but has his three best players back, meaning that any one of them could go off and win him the week single-handedly. The bittersweet piece of Jay's week is that he will very likely have his matchup come down to Monday night, where he has Patrick Mahomes playing against the Philadelphia Eagles. On one hand, the Eagles have been giving up wild fantasy points to the quarterback position all year, and have no been no worse for wear in the NFL, so it's very much in, in the cards that you could get a win-win. I, myself, am rooting for a lose-lose, as hopefully the second-place team falls out of position and the Eagles lose some ground in the division, but that's just me. Literally, just just me. Um, not to be outdone, Tiz has a chief of his own playing Monday night in Travis Kelsey, but for the recent news of Taylor Swift having to miss the game, I would have said that it might be a wash because when she is there... He plays outstanding, and Mahomes doesn't really pass to anyone else. Trying to pat his boy's stats in front of his new chick? Respect. But my man is riding solo dolo this week. Probably worrying about his parents and her parents getting into an argument over the public discourse and religion in this country. Could be a lot weighing on him. 
I could see the speed in Sky Moore making for an interesting dart throw flex play as he will probably not attract the coverage of Darius Slay or Bradbury. And we all know the third cornerback for the Eagles has been a tough spot all year. The most influential game in this matchup highlights the breakdown I did earlier. Tits is rolling with Montgomery, where Jay is rolling with Gibbs. The outcome of this matchup could come down to something as simple as who gets the opportunities in that game. The other game we're going to be highlighting this week is Jimbo versus Kyle, Battle of the Brothers. Not too dissimilar to the Kelsey battle we're about to be witnessing on Monday night. One is flashy, one has a beard. All right, never mind, that's about it, but you get it. It's been decided that whoever loses has first pick in the Michael Marianne draft sweepstakes, though. Never thought a fantasy game could mean so much for the future of your individual families, but good luck to you both. Starting the week, Kyle was projected to be down a few points, but after the Gus Bus showed out on Thursday night, Kyle is now expected to eat this one out like a tiny drop of cum from Joe Biden's limp senile penis. Both currently sitting at 5-5, five and five, this one has a lot riding on it. Either team could technically end the week anywhere from 3rd to 10th. Currently, Jimmy's entire team is blowing their load early this week and will be done by the end of the 1 o'clock slate. Kyle's team is metaphorically trying to double that 30-second nut-bust holding time to a whopping one minute and will be wrapping up their, game, their gooey mess by the end of the second set of games. Neither team with a primetime player this week, meaning they can enjoy the psychedelic trip of Sunday Night Football's Broncos-Vikings game and Monday Night Football's masterpiece of Chiefs-Eagles without any fantasy worry in the world. The most influential NFL game in this matchup is the Jags-Titans matchup, where Jimmy has Henry, ETN, Jags defense, and McManus kicking for him, accounting for 43 of his points, while Kyle has Ingram and his nine expected points as well, totaling for about a quarter of the total points in the matchup. In my eyes, though, the most important determining factor is the utilization of Devon A. Chain in Miami. He is currently expected to score in the low double digits, but that has never happened, ever. He has scored 51 points, 25, and 23. Every other week, he barely played or was injured. If he's healthy enough to play, they're going to give him the ball a lot, and he could potentially explode like a soap container at a barbershop bathroom. But if he isn't all the way back and ready to play full-time, I would expect him to stick with Mostert as the lead back and limit A-Chain's productivity. As always, love you guys, good luck, and keep rolling.